we all go for the blonde. We block each other. Not a single one of us is going to get her. So then we go for her friends. But they will all give us the cold shoulder because nobody likes to be second choice. But what if no one goes for the blonde? We don't get in each other's way. And we don't insult the other girls. That's the only way we win. Welcome back to the Furidashi Podcast. I am nearly as always here with Lauren. Lauren, how are you doing? Hi, I am doing great. Thank you for asking. I am loving your new background. <laughs> yeah, so um, for those of you who um, haven't been watching the, the videos or only listened to this you know, on, as audio, um, previously I was in a different corner of the basement. Now I'm in a better corner of the basement where I have a bunch of books behind me so that way I can like you know, show off like, oh, I've read all of these books. Look at all the books I've read. I've got the, I've got the Kierkegaard here, and I've got the the Foucault there, and I've got my, Ooh, I've got my Miyazaki bag. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just We're, like, look at all my gaming stuff. I'm a game dev. Trust yeah, me. <laughs> no, but you have the cool skull. I love the skull. Oh, though. that's true. It is real as well. Ethically, yeah. ethically sourced. Yeah. So, so for those yeah. of you who, again, who are only who only ever listened to this podcast, Lauren has an awesome skull. <laughs> yes. So please give our give a, our YouTube channel a little shout out, likes, comments, and subscribes. We really do want you guys to engage more with the comment feature or with Twitter as well, because yeah. some of my friends who do listen and watch the videos absolutely love them and then text me about them. And as much as I love my friends and I love that they text <laughs> me thoughts, it yeah. would really help us out if they would just put those texts into cute little comments. Yeah, and cowards. Just be- <laughs> <laughs> Comment, cowards. Comment, cowards. Don't be a coward. Comment on our YouTube. Exactly, like, subscribe, yeah. leave us a review. Even a bad one, we'll take it. Oh, yeah. Like, I love bad reviews. I'd be like, yeah, sure. Because the thing is, here's, the, I, I, and I mean this, um, my students never believe me when I tell them to, like, just out and out criticize things that I say and be like, that doesn't make any sense. Because I do genuinely appreciate it because it forces me to sort of think through my my bs rather than just sort of like repeat it as if it were 100 true that's even not in, for me. yeah and even in game development like designers don't designers don't design in a vacuum right if you were absolutely and openly critical where we're like hey guys this is a really new feature this is how i'm describing it what do you guys think and then you know your colleague is like no i don't i don't think that's good and like you spent 30 minutes like talking about it and they're just like nope go back. And it, it's funny because it's usually not, no, go back to the drawing board. It's just, this is what you said. This is what we're actually doing, say, over on this entire opposite side of, could be the country, just could be the room. Now it's Zoom. So yeah. this other box of Zoom. So you need to rework it this way. And it's a genuine, honest criticism. 
but it's not really a it's not really a criticism of your work. It's just trying to show you how it fits into the bigger picture. Show show us how we fit into your picture. <laughs> Come now. All right. So that was our, our really long self-deprecating intro because to talk today a little bit about the the concept of gamification, yes. which I know, Lauren, is a word that you don't like. Yeah, but that is correct. I, I still think we, 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 we should talk about it because. OK, so here's here's the deal. So I read something um, a couple of days ago that I want to share with you. I'm not going to show it to our viewers because then it would reveal the source and that would give away the surprise. All right, so this person has to say, gamification doesn't work or last because the progression of rewards over time begins to feel monotonous, routine, and trivial. Just like in video games, all progress is short-lived until you create a new goal or reward for players. This is also why rewards-driven design is the hardest and most unachievable metric to accurately give players something to chase. Better gear, loot, and armor isn't going to cut it for long. Players will need a new stimulus for their boredom and will need greater and greater risk slash rewards to maintain it. If anything, relying too much on loot is the very thing that both hooks millions of people and then sinks the same millions of people off of the game. What do you think about that, Lauren? That sounds so professional when you say it. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds so real. So by the way, guys, actually Lauren wrote that. (laughs) That's the thing. I wrote that. Um, just, it sounds so nice when he says it out loud, because I literally I'm like, man, that just makes a lot of sense. And he's like, yeah, it should. Yeah, it should. It's good. <laughs> you wrote it. You wrote it, dumbass. <laughs> well, and also because like sometimes so I have like two pitches to my voice. I have about the radio voice when I could talk like this, but then I also talk like this sometimes. and It's kind of upsetting. Um, yeah, no. But so the reason why I wanted to focus on so Lauren and I often like trade notes and sort of like crap that we're thinking about and that really struck me because the an important aspect of this thing that people call gamification even if that's what we're not going to end up calling it is sort of this like imposition of incentives and incentive structures so lauren i actually want you so since you wrote that you can explain it better than me probably what is it about like existing incentive structures? You use specifically use the example like loot grinds. Like, what is it about them that is so unsatisfactory? Yeah, and so our viewers out there, this is going to be a two-part episode. The first yeah. part I'd like to focus on, right? That loot and a kind of incentive grind. And I'll talk about the incentive grind because that's really what gets to the heart of why I hate the word gamification, because it implies two things I just really disapprove of. One is it reduces a game to a core system, set of rules and rewards, and that's it, right? So gamification implies that to gamify something, you just need these external factors regardless of the fiction um, or the world. And I just don't, that doesn't sit well with me. And then second, we're gonna talk about um, the loot grind aspect of gamification and the incentives for, as Nicholas had pointed out in some of his notes, the exploitation of workers or of the consumer, right? Which is why I feel that gamified things, the more you participate in them, over time actually it begins to feel more monotonous, more routine, more trivial. Yeah. And you can also look at gamification and things like habit forming as well. Um, So the first part 
of the say series is going to be looking at that gamification. And then the second part is going to more into detail for risk reward design. So if you're listening at a later date and you see this as part one and you want to skip ahead because you feel like you know everything there is to know about gamification, I guess you can go listen to part two uh, in the second episode. So I'll give yeah. you a pause to go leave. Bye guys. See you later. Bye. Have a great week. Okay. All right. But now that you're still here, <laughs> uh, thank you for sticking around. So when I really looked at gamification, I absolutely hate it when players think of a game as just a series and a sets of tasks to complete. And the really big reason for this is that gamification is something that has been thrown around by marketers ever since I think like MMOs became super popular. And I'm gonna bring up the MMO because mm -hmm. the lead, I think engineer or rewards designer for World of Warcraft went to Starbucks and implemented their first rewards uh, incentive program. And I this really oh, stuck really? out to okay. me because when I was a, ch a child in high school, um, I loved World of Warcraft and I loved Starbucks because that was the only coffee shop to our town for like a three hour radius. I am not lying to you. So there was just one Starbucks all around me for three hours, okay? So that was the place to go for coffee. Now, World of Warcraft also being great. You can play World of Warcraft in, Star in Starbucks. I was like, this is perfect. I want to be this guy. I want to be the guy that like has made the game. But if he can like make games, he can obviously go work for Starbucks. This was before <laughs> yes. I really realized I would work in game development. But then ever since that, they went, oh, we're gamifying things. And so I actually in my youth was like, what does it mean to gamify something? And so that's where I realized that it would took World of Warcraft and it just reduced its rewards structure to just a series of tasks or quests that you need to complete, right? The rules were very simple, complete three things, get a free drink, right? And then every time you did this, you just got stars and it was like a good job sticker. But the more and the more I kind of discovered and studied this, and then I got into marketing and other types of incentive programs, I realized that it really was just to get me as a consumer of Starbucks, like to pay more. Yeah. Now the old star rewards program was actually a lot better than the new star rewards program. Having been a longtime Starbucks gold member, I guess. Uh, the old program was very much like your traditional buy four yogurts, get a fifth one free. Yeah. By the I way, other you. coffees are available. So we're, this is not a Starbucks ad. This is not a Starbucks ad. I am actually very into other tips of coffee. <laughs> I am just saying that at the time, right? I, yeah. I, um, I was very much in there. And yeah. it was also related to like how much effort or money you put into a system was how many stars, right? You yeah. got back. And so very much was, hey, I have right five stars. That means I get one free drink. Or, hey, I have 10 stars. That means I get two free drinks, like things like that. And it was very simple. Now, they've gamified it even further to say, well, 50 stars is like an espresso shot, but 150 is like a handcrafted beverage and 400 is like a coffee cup. Like yeah. it's kind of ridiculous. But when you see the progression of games as well, and especially in these MMOs, you start to realize that over time, it's kind of either rewarding you for something you've already done, or yeah. it's rewarding you for something you were going to do anyway. And then yeah. that brings into the effect desire and motivation. Why are you going to Starbucks and you're getting rewarded? It's really not a rewards program anymore. It's really just a thanks for coming in program, right? And also maybe maintain yes the habit, no, yeah. right? I mean, I, if you're going to maintain yeah. the habit of going to Starbucks, it just kind of incentivizes you to do that. 
And so I don't like the word gamification because it's reductive to games as a genre and as a medium. Games are not a genre, games are a medium. I apologize right there to all my literary studies fans. How dare you? I know. How dare you? Games are a medium. So it reduces the medium to like this central core also in scare quotes. But what's worse is that it implies that incentivized programs that are there to either build a habit that is not positive or negative, right? Because it's it's amoral, if anything. It's amoral, right? If anything, is what a game is. And so that's really my problem with gamification is more of a terminology issue. Um, But that is to kind of describe, right? That, that, um, that routine and monotony and redaction, right? Of what a game can be. Yeah. So I think part of the reason for that is because even though in both cases we're using the word game or like some variant of the word game to gamify, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the two things actually come from different historical streams. So when you're talking about games as in like, you know, the things that we play to have fun or to engage ourselves or just deal with our boredom, like that actually comes from a different place than the concept of gamification, which is largely an economic one. And the reason why it's largely an economic one is because it's based upon a kind of quasi-economic slash mathematical theory called game theory. Um, And it just happens that that is called game theory. Now, the thing is, when you look at, you know, Nash and like, you know, the other mathematicians who are sort of like the the progenitors of of these concepts, um, they weren't necessarily avid gamers, (laughs) as far as I know. Maybe maybe John Nash was, uh, but I don't think he was. And certainly when you look at sort of the things that, you know, they were talking about, like how to sort of like model um, behavior mathematically and also how to model behavior, like especially in macro systems. One of the reasons why it, it's harder, even though like if you look at um, John Nash's writing, a lot of what he talks about is kind of like how people game things in their interpersonal relationships, like, you know, between friends, lovers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's had its greatest application on the macroeconomic level, not the microeconomic level. And the reason for this is because, and it's it's the it's the law of large numbers. Like you're always going to have a certain degree of statistical variance, but the more ends you have, the more sort of instances of a particular like binary or like whatever like process that something has to undergo, the more instances of it you have, the more it will revert to the mean. More it will revert to sort of like your expected outcome. And so like game theory has been really important in sort of like the way people game the stock market. I, I have no, I, there, there are no game stop stocks. I don't really know how that would play out because there are no like current examples of how that would work. I mean, and I think that's <laughs> actually, I mean, there is a current example. That's yeah, like the GameStop thing. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think what's really interesting to actually point out right now for our listeners is that before say video games became super popular, or even board games, right. There are two kind of definitions of the word game. There is two games, something, yeah. which was necessarily, um, which is not the same as playing a game. Well, it's like to and manipulate so, it. Yeah. Right. So two yeah. game was to manipulate. And so yeah. game theory was not about video games or about gaming. Game theory is more about manipulation theory. And that, yeah. right, is kind of the derivative or um, uh, the precursor for the word, right? Yeah, Gamification. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's not about the gamingification of something. It is about the gamification, which was the manipulation efficient 
Yeah. Wow. That's not a word. Um, <laughs> it's fine. Right. And so that's, that's kind of the direction that gamification takes. And so it's about manipulating the behavior and it's very economic. Yeah. And so that's yeah. why I have problems with it as well for game design, because games design is not about the manipulation or right. Is it with question marks, right. About the manipulation of its player base. Right. Yeah. And so that's how we'll get into the loot grind of it. But first, this is about the real world grind. Right? Yeah. And so as a result, because it's about it's fundamentally an economic theory at this point, like I said, it has it has a mathematical basis, but it's fundamentally an economic theory. Um, as a result, then all of the problems that attend to, by the way, I'm going to refer to it as political economy, because as you all know, I'm a Marxist. So that's what I'm going to call it. And all yeah. Uh, put it in the productivity economy. And yeah. so that might. So the thing is, then, yeah, as a, as a result, when you're talking about gamification as a means to create these incentive structures, the incentive structures that, you know, when you're playing games that you're most familiar with, you're probably thinking of like, you know, loot in an MMO is a good example of this. But also, like, um, there's a similar structure in Hearthstone now. They recently revamped, like, their incentive structure, and it is now basically the equivalent of a loot grind as well. It's just the difference is the reward is cards and, like, certain in game perks rather than, you know, specific, like, items for a character. But that, even though there's a certain, like, there's a certain similarity, and the, and the interesting thing is that the reason why there's a certain similarity between that and what is called gamification is because, especially amongst modern, like, AAA developers, the people who make those games are, in fact, studying these theories and applying them to these economic theories and applying them to their own games. Um, the company that is probably most renowned for doing this is Valve. Valve, for the longest time, actually had a resident economist. In fact, a very famous resident economist, Yanis Varoufakis, who's a, who's a Greek economist and was actually a Greek finance minister for a brief time under um, Syriza, the failed, quote-unquote, socialist coalition government in Greece. Um, sorry, <laughs> politics nerd. Get rid of him. So anyway, so we, we get to the situation where now the, the two things that are really sort of separate historical streams, we're crossing the streams. And for those of you who have seen um, a Ghostbusters film, um, you will know that originally crossing the streams was bad, but then at the end of the movie, they had to cross the streams because that was the only thing that could get rid of Gozer. So what game companies... And if you've never seen Ghostbusters, <laughs> you should go watch Ghostbusters. Because I, I, I literally just spoiled it for you. <laughs> no, you don't spoil It's about the journey. It okay? is about the journey. Yeah, and also I didn't spoil the best part of the film, which is great. Uh, him, so... <laughs> yeah, no, I said I didn't do it, and then I proceeded not to do it. So yes, good don't job. Don't shame me. <laughs> Stop shaming me, Lauren. Um, okay. Anyway, so what game companies, sorry, game design companies, game studios have have realized is the power of crossing these streams, of sort of like integrating these two things into each other by taking what is fundamental, what was originally and fundamentally an entertainment experience and working in these like economic theories to create a more sophisticated reward structure, then you can actually develop as Lauren was saying earlier, these almost like borderline addictive habits. And it's one of the reasons why, for example, loot crates are so criticized so often because it's basically gambling. Like at, at, its, at its core, it's just gambling. And it has all of the same effects on you as a person that gambling has on, you know, someone who's addicted to it. So then, so, so where are we now? So we're, so we're at a point where, for example, Actually, let's use an example of an earlier MMO, um, an MMO, MMOs like um, Ultima Online 
or EverQuest, which actually didn't have these reward structures. Not really. And one of the reasons for this is that, um, for example, in EverQuest, your in-game progression was less loot dependent. In other words, how you move from like you know one raid encounter to the the other is more much more dependent upon like leveling and just like your your skill as a player and your ability to coordinate with your your fellow weirdos. Whereas in an MMO like WoW, raid progression is heavily dependent upon gear. And so it creates these kind of soft locks, these soft gate. It's almost like a soft gateway gateway function, where you know, in order to progress to the next raid tier, you need gear from the previous raid tier, or at least something equivalent to it. So it means you have to grind that out. But also, you know, raids in WoW are on weekly locks, so you can literally only like do a full run through, a full completion once per week. So it means you can only get one set of gear from the bosses per week that you have to distribute against amongst. How big are raids in WoW now? Are they 20 or 25? Uh, they're still 40 and 20. Oh, really? Okay. I've only raided in Classic, uh, to be honest. So yeah. those are 40 No, but I think, they, I think they are small. I think they're actually, um, like, they're either 20 but or I 25. Think, no, I think there's, yeah, they're probably at 20 or 25 now okay. because a 40-person raid is just almost impossible to get to and you're going to have, it's going to yeah. be pickup group. Yeah, often. But also those raids are much easier and often. And as people discovered in Ooh. Classic WoW, <laughs> They are. They're they're actually a lot easier mechanically. Yeah, I think that. Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. We're not. So we're not going to go into raid design for this, <laughs> no, this no, week's episode. We are going to talk about the loot grind. Yeah. And and the gamification of it. Sorry. Oh. Did you have something to say about that? Yeah. So okay, for me, I I think that it's, it's interesting playing. Having played, um, I didn't really play uh, Ultima or EverQuest because when I did play them, it was kind of in tandem like with like in yeah. a, the adult in the room i should say or maybe like the teenager or yeah, you know, however yeah. old they were and it because it wasn't a game that i think was rated for my like for my parents or whatever i did play guild wars i actually played guild wars before i played uh world of warcraft yeah and what i think that is something that was stumbled upon perhaps by these mmo designers was that to create that in the the gear grind but also the gear the gear grind kind of came out of the, oh, players are going to want to play these once a week. Here's the adequate reward for yeah. that playtime. Yeah. And it just so happened that because humanity wants to be more efficient, we want to be more productive, right? Yeah. That the drive for excellence and perfection created a desire in players to get the highest loot. Yeah. Then that internalized it within the socioeconomics of World of Warcraft that new yeah. players or players that have been already playing, say, hundreds of hours but had not participated in raids suddenly saw this class of people that was a higher tier of people yeah. because they did do the raids and they looked better. Yeah. This is incredibly important to gamification in our modern times. And also in the socioeconomic studies, not just in MMOs, like in World of Warcraft or in Ultima, um, but in socioeconomic theory in, say, the United States, for example. Yeah. Because whenever you have these systems that, even if the opportunity is equal and you have systems that will favor those with, say, 40 people they know that can do raids versus those that do not have 40 friends or 40 people right that they yeah. know to do raids 
suddenly it will create an internal motivation driven by external motivating factors. And so to get out of maybe the obvious political twist this can go into, let's kind of step back and look at something super fun and cute and light, like productivity management. Okay. I am really big into being a productive citizen of the United States of America. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I tried. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I am really, but I I do love productivity and I love productivity because I'm a person that has to go to bed around 10 PM every night because I wake up really early. Yeah. Just regardless. So if I go to bed at 2 a.m., I will wake up around like 7 or 8. And obviously, I will have gotten less sleep. If I go to bed before 10 p.m., and that's in scare quotes for our podcast listeners, it's not really before 10 p.m., but it's my body thinks that I'm like in bed. Maybe I'm reading a book, right? It goes, ah, yes, you're ready for sleep. And I wake up refreshed at 7 so I can get ready. Yeah. This means that I'm super into listening to podcasts to to podcasts about productivity, to YouTubers that are doing productivity. And one of those famous YouTubers who happens to be a friend of mine from Iowa, uh, Tom Frank, and I'm going to call him out because he's great, um, has been doing this for 10 years and has been on an app called Habitica. Habitica, when it first came out back in 2012, um, is an app solely stating that it is an RPG for your real life. Yeah. So by inserting your habits and your dailies, you check them off to get XP. That XP earns you treats, treats, treasure. I don't know. It earns you something to get a reward. And then your reward will actually outfit your hero, which is who you are based on the habits that you have completed. It's trying to get you to instill better habits. And also you can put bad habits, right? Which would be like, hey, if I smoked today, I have to lose 10 health, right? And then it would take away your treasures as well. Versus I didn't smoke today is positive. And so you would like add health, add treasures, right? Add XP. Yeah, this is really interesting, right? Because it has literally taken something like an RPG that we are right we're familiar with, yeah. and said if you connect this to your real world, you will get better. This doesn't work for me because maybe because I'm a game designer, maybe because I played those games. Yeah, because you can I, see through it. I can see through it. Yeah, I have no incentive to check off a box every day to say that I've done the habit. Yeah. I am going to do the habit. But let's look at Habitica from that perspective. Yeah. What do they realize players like from RPGs and what, how do they give that motivation for players that are driven by external excellence, by a badge of honor, by a leaderboard, by achievement, by showing to other people that they have achieved something, Habitica will work really, really well. I don't care about my awards or my achievements necessarily or showing them off, right? I am very, and maybe that's a little self-deprecating, right? It's like, look at all, like whatever, but I'm not a trophy person. I I don't want to show my, you know, football or baseball trophies in a case. That's not what I'm proud of. Maybe, you know, I did get a trophy for something, but I'm not just going to show it off. Right. So Habitica assumes that the RPG, the gear, the loot, the items, the pets, that's something that I'm really excited about. However, right, that is not the motivation for me, even though I would play RPGs, right? Yeah. No, that that makes sense because so for those of you who aren't familiar with so the the probably the grand profit of this particular approach to gamification is probably um Jay McGonigal, who we have been ambivalent about on this podcast in the past, because both of us are ambivalent about her. Um, however, 
one of the things that she emphasizes, so she created a, a game called Super Better, which is very similar to Habitica, although it's not quite as like fleshed out, I don't think. Um, th this idea that, so this is what we meant by sort of gamification being fundamentally amoral is because it's neither inherently good nor inherently bad. It's all dependent upon sort of the purposes that it's directed towards. And what Lauren is emphasizing here is that like, in many ways, gamification takes all individuals as being more or less of the same sort. But the problem is we're not actually, <laughs> we're, we're all very different from each other. We have different psychological and behavioral dispositions. And as Lauren just pointed out, like Habitica doesn't work for her precisely because of both, you know, her personal history and also just kind of who she is as an individual. Um, to use a, a different example, um, there is a game. So at the beginning of the sort of the COVID lockdown in the US, when my daughter's school in Syracuse was sort of scrambling to figure out what they were going to do when they suddenly had to like go entirely online. One of the things that sort of got them by in the first couple of weeks is that they had um, the kids in her class play um, the prodigy math game. I don't know if any of you out there are familiar with the Prodigy games, if you have kids or if you know you just are aware of them. Essentially what it is, is it's a far more sophisticated version of like games like Math Blasters that I would have played when I was in elementary school. It's I essentially mean, a form of- For like, those of my generation really quickly, I think that's probably close to the Jumpstart series. Yes, yes. They're very similar to that. Yeah, well. I played all of those games. But what makes the, the Prodigy math game really, really sophisticated is it's is the fact that it's an MMORPG literally and so but you so when you like have like encounters in game so so you have a character and there's character progression in the game and you level up and you acquire new abilities and you can get you know better skins and so forth and the characters are very cutesy because you know it's for smaller children um, but it has all of the hallmarks of a classic MMO, like all of the base mechanics are there. The only difference is that when you go to use an ability in the game, so like if you want to use, say, your character's like Ice Storm ability, then what happens is you have to solve a math problem before it will go off. And the math problems that the game feeds you are based upon like whatever sort of like educational level you happen to be at. So like, you know, you go to cast like, you know, ice storm against a boss and then it'll come up with, and you have to do like multiplying two fractions. And if you get the answer, then it goes off. If you get the answer wrong, it misses. So in other words, the mechanic that most games use to determine whether or not something hit, hits or misses is just a random number generator. But in this case, the hit miss mechanic is entirely based upon your ability to produce the right answer to a math problem which I actually think is kind of a brilliant thing to do because it's sort of looking at an aspect of the mechanics that most people don't think about. I will say that that's not exactly, while it's something that like you could say has gamified math, it's more about turning math into a core feature of the game, right? And so instead of a yeah. random nice role that say the game makes for you and the game makes for you only because it was based upon the dice rolling game Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. Right. That is a very unique way of redefining that mechanic. It's the math mechanic now. Right. But, but, at the same, but the thing that I would add is, though, the reason why I think it does function as an incentive structure is because it takes something that like, you know, kids are used to something that they they already take pleasure in, which is playing a game and then take something that for a lot of kids is fundamentally unpleasurable, because I don't know if you've ever tried to teach a 10 year old how to multiply fractions. It's not a fun time. And so what it does is it tries to paper over the fundamental like 
unpleasurable nature of like the thing that they actually want them to do, which is math with something that is, so it is an incentive structure because it's sort of like layering that on top of it. So that's what I was trying I'm to really, I am really excited that you brought that up because I actually don't see that as a gamification. Okay. And I love that you brought that up. I'm not sure at what time we are at this episode. We have a little bit of time left. So why don't we okay, sort of so wrap let's, up that point and we'll let's, move on to the second part. No, but let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up and maybe have the episode go another like five minutes just to make sure. So thank you for listening with us here. Yeah. So the reason why that's not gamification to me is because it's it's more that is more about uh mechanics design and so gamification is about it layers that insensitive structure this is really important sorry hold on now i have to talk with my hands <laughs> this is really really important i swear i'll get to my point once i my brain can figure out how to say it what nicholas is talking about is it creates something that in the real world this tangible life skill that you need which is multiplying fractions which which if you want to get into game design Honestly, at any point, whether it be narrative or art, I really think multiplying fractions is going to be what you do. It's what I did for three years. It was not fun, but it was my job. And because I knew how to do it, I was a game designer. Yay. Yay. All right. I'll tell my daughter that. (laughs) You should. You should. So looking at multiplying fractions with nobody wants to do. I didn't want to do it when I was 18 and I didn't want to do it when I was eight. I still don't want to do it uh, when I was 28. So there you go. And I think that so that say is intrinsically, I don't want. Yeah. Put it in with a game and suddenly now you go, oh, I want to play the game. So now I want to do the math. That's incorrect. You still don't want to do the math. Okay. Reskinning something, right? With say other mechanics or other features like costumes and magic and cool animations. It's just kind of flavoring over the math. The math is still a hurdle. The math is still intrinsically something you don't want to do. The motivation, however, is not to play the game, right? The motivation is to see the effect and your success in a visual way. Yeah. Now, for some students, getting the math problem right, and if you loved math as a kid or or rather you didn't hate it, getting the problem right wasn't a hurdle for you. The reason why I think Nicholas is saying this is an incentive structure is because particularly for his daughter who really doesn't want to multiply fractions, her intrinsic motivation to see that really cool animation effect. And also from her experience playing games and knowing I want to beat the boss requires her to do the math. The math is still an obstacle. This is not an incentivized structure or a gamification structure. It's not even about rewards design at this point. It's really just a reskin of a mechanics design because his daughter doesn't want to do the math. She just has to now, okay? It's still a problem. What she wants now intrinsically is she wants to get better at, say, the game, I would say, because she still doesn't want to get better at math. So a gamification of this would actually strip out that fun, cool animation or strip out the effects. You know what? Hell, maybe it'll keep them all. But what it would say is, for every time you cast an ability, we give you a point. If you cast an ability 50 times, we'll give you this cool sword that lets you cast abilities more now that's what makes it gamification because it's basically saying you have to do ability a if you do ability a 50 times we make you better at doing ability a maybe the math problems get easier okay right that's the gamification because that's the amoral structure that can still lead into incentivized exploitation 
just like the Starbucks rewards program for consumers. Yeah. yeah. Because you go, hey, if you spend a dollar, you get a star. If you spend yeah. $50, you'll have 50 stars. Oh, yeah. today is double stars day. Today, it's easier to get stars because your 50 becomes 100. Yeah. And you didn't have to do anything different. See how easy it is to get the star? See how easy it is to perform math? Don't you want to just perform math all the time? So now <laughs> his daughter isn't, that's the trick. Sorry, that the, way, is the, the, the way you said that there was like, like hey, big boy, don't you want to do math? Don't you want to do math more? Look now, this is more. not KFXX. This is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not, yeah. We're not, we're not the Fox. <laughs> <laughs> That's our new radio show. Yeah, no, no. I think, okay. But that, that really is sort of the, the point that we need to come to. And that's where I think we're going to stop for, for this part, because we're going to jump off from that point and we're going to elaborate on it in the subsequent episode, which Lauren and I will be recording shortly. But unfortunately you all out there will have to wait a week to see or hear whichever you do or both. Maybe you do both. Um, but until then, Lauren, where can the people find us? Yeah, the people can find us on Twitter at FuridashiPod. Um, and you can also find us on YouTube at FuridashiPod and on iTunes. Yes, and if you're going to iTunes, please rate and review us because it really, really helps get us out to more people. All right, Lauren, thank you so much. We will be back shortly. But until then, stay safe, stay healthy. And I don't know, this is my new catchphrase. Do your homework. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>